this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about something that you can do to help local businesses. There's a bunch of them that have got together to try and find a way to support Hamilton companies that are really struggling right now. And it's not going to cost you, well, not all that much money anyway. And if you eat out or if you use local businesses, well... You're just helping out while you're helping yourself as well. We'll explain that coming up. We're also going to be talking about real estate. We picked up the topic last week, but I wanted to follow up on it because apparently it seems there are tens of thousands of Canadians right now who are in the middle of between buying a house and closing the contract. And what happens to them if their jobs have suddenly vanished or if the value of the home has suddenly plummeted? Well, we'll talk to an expert on that one. And then Don Robertson joins us to chat about sports moments and the worst sports uniforms of all time and other stuff as well. Stick around. You may enjoy it. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We have heard about the government extending aid, both levels of government, extending aid to employers to keep employees on staff during these difficult days. It's a good thing. We, we don't want everybody shutting everybody out of work. We don't want to have a 60% unemployment rate, even though things are really tough. Uh, and as I say, this is a great thing that we're helping people. There is just one problem for some, even with that safety net. If your business has zero business right now and can't really create much business because you run a business that requires people to be out of their house and congregating, it's pretty difficult to keep paying people when there still can't be any money coming in. You can say, we're going to help you, but if there's still zero revenue, it's still a very, very tough time. And this is especially true if you are a small company. You're not making millions of dollars. You're getting by paying your employees, but you still need some kind of money to come in. Talking, of course, about restaurants, but also small shops and businesses that are being pretty much blacked out by this quarantine. Well, it turns out there may be a way for you to do something about this. If you are in the position where maybe your job is a little more secure, maybe you have enough money that you can help out right now that you're not living right on the edge Gift cards. And if that sounds really simple, well, hang with me for a minute because that is where my first two guests come in today. Joe Satino is with Shop, Eat, Play, and Sam Holdridge is with Hometown Hub. They join me now. Guys, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Thanks so much for having us. Hey, Sam, let me start with you um, to, to try and explain what this is. If I understand what you're doing correctly, you have gathered a bunch of local businesses into kind of a collective and they've all agreed to, to put out gift cards, to sell gift cards that would be used not now probably, but down the road in the future. Is that the simplest form of what you're doing? So it definitely is that for sure. And we even expanding on that outside of just gift cards, we're trying to create a, a, a database um, where it's local businesses that you can support that have some data point online where you can shop locally and kind of spend your dollar first locally. So it could be gift cards. We're compiling lists um, on the site of e-commerce stores, that local e-commerce stores, and then of course, local restaurants. So, and then where Joe and his team are concerned and where their focus is on the gift card section where um, they bring kind of like a local digital solution to gift cards to support. So our, our, kind of job and directive at uh, Hometown Hub is to create 
more of a marketplace website where you can go and you can spend money online, whether it be food or e-commerce or in digital gift cards. So it spends a little bit beyond that. But uh, Joe's team specifically um, deals with digital gift cards, and we've known Joe for a long time. So when this kind of concept came up, it was a no-brainer to get uh, Joe and his team on the phone and say, hey, what can we do to get some information out there and help as many people as we can during during this time? Sam, I mean, it is an interesting idea. It's it's kind of a new idea. I mean, these things have happened before, but it's it's unique to bring them all together. But I guess desperate times call for unique and creative responses. You know, that's exactly it, my friend. I mean, what we we'd seen there was a lot of lists out there. There's a list here, a list here of places you can shop and. People are doing phenomenal work out there, kind of culling and putting those lists together. Um, but what what we wanted to do was bring something that was a little bit more robust, meaning a, a more engaging, a little bit more interactive, a fully kind of done up web presence. And our team hasn't slept in a week, but I think we've done we've we've made at least the first step to make something uh, that not only can be there now, but if there is a paradigm shift, that can help kind of businesses get that their kind of digital messaging and digital footprint out there for the long term. Because this money money is basically, if you buy the gift card right now, you're at least putting a few bucks in some business's pocket that they can maybe try and get through for now and figure it out later. And I'll let Joe feel that one for sure. Um, That's, I'll let Joe take over as far as any of the gift card answers, but as per like getting listings on the site that maybe you're trying, you have an e-commerce store selling food or gift cards. Yeah, our thought was always just to get as much information in the best way and the most user-friendly way out as we could and kind of continue and grow that. But I'll let Joe field the stuff about the uh, gift cards. All right, Joe, let me bring you into this for a second here because this idea is a terrific one. And, and I think for a lot of people, it's a logical one, but a lot of very small places don't do gift cards online. You got to go in in person and buy them. And right now you can't do that. Uh You've done that for a while now with ShopEat Play, right? Uh, this is why we exist, Scott, exactly. So uh, ShopEat is a bit of a, a Hamilton, uh, hopefully a success story moving down the road, but it was built basically with the small business owner in mind. Um, I fell in love with the gift card industry a few years back and realized uh, very quickly that uh, to buy local gift cards isn't that that simple. And the two fastest growing segments of the gift card world um, are also the, the, the most underserviced, and that being local and digital. So what we've done is uh, we've created a bit of a one-stop shop. We've put a, a moniker on a brand that brings everybody together and allows small businesses to participate in the $160 billion a year gift card industry that's normally been dominated by the big guys. And uh, unfortunately, it, it, it takes something like this today where you know we've been inundated with calls uh, by people who want to support by buying gift cards but can't drive down someplace uh, uh, to pick a gift card up because it's closed. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting about a, an idea that has been born here in Hamilton. I'm sure they're doing it elsewhere, but this one's an I, Hamilton raised and created idea, and that is finding a way to help local businesses that may be really, really struggling right now, particularly small businesses that don't have a lot of revenue at the best of times and now are trying to keep afloat. 
Uh, Joe Satino is with Shop, Eat, Play. Sam Holdridge is with Hometown Hub. They are working together on this. Um, Joe, and by the way, if I call you Eat, Pray, Love before the end of the show, I apologize. <laughs> it, uh, I, it's, okay. it's all I can do to get the name right. It's going back and forth here. Um, how does this work then? Because obviously Sam with his group, they've collected some of these local groups that want or local businesses that want to jump in. You come in. How does this work that someone can actually do something to help? It's very, very simple. So first off, we need the businesses to come on board. Um, and what we've done uh, with the, the, the endorsement of the, of the economic developments here in the city of Hamilton and with Sam's help, uh, we're offering any business in the city, any locally owned business. We don't work with chains. Our mantra is to work with locals. So any local owned business that would like to have their gift card listed both at shopeatplay.ca and at Hometown Hub just needs to reach out to us. Um, so what we do is we have the technology that will put, if they don't have an existing gift card program, um, we can slap them into our marketplace and uh, within, within a day they're up and running. Um, there is a second step that uh, if they would so prefer that we can actually give them the ability to sell gift cards directly from their site. That's a little more intrusive and there is a small cost to that and subsequently takes a little bit longer. Uh, but what our hope is, Scott, is, as you mentioned earlier, um, from a local level and, 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 you know, living and breathing local is, is consumers. And you hit it eloquently when you said, you know, if things aren't tight enough that you can actually spend some money, um, I think we need to realize spend now, use later. Um, and that's what the gift cards allow you to do, because some of these small little gems that we, we frequent and, and, and call our own may not be around in three or four months. So the purchasing of gift cards now and providing that cash flow now may actually help keep some doors open. Sam, uh, Sam let me throw you a, a bleak question in here, but I think it's probably a realistic question, and that is some places are likely to go under, here and elsewhere. I mean, it's just the reality. This is a tough, tough time. What if you buy a gift card from one of these places and then they're not there when you go to use it? That's more for me, Scott. Okay. And the, the, and the reality is we, we only broker it. So we're, you're actually purchasing the gift card from, for argument's sake, charred. So if Chard, God forbid, was to go under, it, it, there's no guarantee of that. It, okay. It'd be no different than any other business. So Sam, how many how many places are we talking about here? How many have jumped in on this? So again, as all great things start, this started as a napkin idea, and we've been trying to culling uh, our our database of what, what's going on locally. Um, and what what's kind of happened over the weekend and um, has just been since we launched uh, the end of end of last week we've just gotten this complete and utter influx of businesses just like how how do we get involved filling out reaching out i mean we're we got a pretty long list of of stuff that we're trying to enter i mean we're we're in the hundreds of businesses that we still need to enter so our team is going to be working around the clock to get because we also understand that it's we need to get information up immediately it's also fluid people make decisions about changing especially what's going on right now and, but we want that information to be up as quickly as possible because we want to help the businesses as quickly as possible. So it's been, in, it's, been, it's been relatively crazy, for lack of a better word, over the, past, over the weekend to see uh, the engagement and also the participation by businesses and the outreach and, and the support. So it's been really it's been phenomenal to see that. And, you know, the one thing I will say, Scott, is that, you know, the adaptability and the creative thinking of, of the small business owner and the small business community in Hamilton is just second to none. I mean, the, the, the way that they're kind of taking the punches, rolling with it and saying, what can I do to improve and make my business better? That's kind of what our team has seen from a soft spot has been really a, a, a commonality between 
all businesses that we've been in, in interacting with. It's been really, as bad as things are, it's been nice to see that uh, completely. Sam, perhaps it's going to sound cold-hearted or selfish, I hope not, but to ask this question, but is there a benefit besides helping local businesses? Are there benefits to buyers to buy these now? Are, are some of these restaurants or companies saying, hey, there's a deal if you buy a card? I can speak to that, Scott. Okay. So on our on our site, uh, there, there's one particular, uh, the Purple Pair has a deal that they're offering currently. But we do have the ability, if a vendor so wishes to do so, that uh, they can offer some sort of promotional aspect for sure. Um, and, and at the end of the day, Scott, what we're trying to do is um, we turn everybody's cell phone, everybody's mobile device, everybody's computer into a point of sale for every local business that participates. Um, and I can't reiterate enough, enough how important that is. You know, when someone walks into Fortino's, Loblaws, Staples, and they see those, those racks of 150 different gift cards, um, those gift cards are there because they work and they're not competing, they're collaborating. Um, local business owners, we need to do the same. And that's what we're hoping to provide. It's, it's a one-stop shop where someone can go um, see the listing, see the virtual mall, and, and have their choice of, of whatever it is that they're looking to do. The other aspect we didn't talk about briefly is there's also a generic Shopee Play card. Uh, and that card um, is basically provides you with a gift of choice. So if you're unsure as to where Sam wants to eat or Sam wants to play, um, you can go ahead and purchase the generic card and it's to be redeemed at any one of our member businesses. It's a, it's a, listen, for both you guys, it's a fantastic idea. And there's, and for all the businesses that are in there, uh, it's a terrific idea. If you can't get out right now and you normally would eat out anyway, now would be a time to, to jump in and help. The, uh, I guess what you're saying, you can go to either one of your websites, hometownhub.ca or shopeatplay.ca, and you could get the cards at either of those, correct? Correct. All right, there you go. Shopeatplay.ca, hometownhub.ca. Hey, people are still having birthdays while this is going on. You may not be able to get to a party. Here's a here's a birthday present you can get for them. Buy them a gift card and help a local business along the way. It's a great idea. Guys, thanks for taking some time to do this today. I hope people will uh, will become more and more familiar with it and will really help out. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time, man. We will uh, we will take a quick break. One more time. Hometownhub.ca, shopeatplay.ca play.ca either one of those go and buy a gift card or two you can use it later it's not like you're losing your money you can use it later you can use it as a gift and it'll help some local businesses you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml if you're a regular listener uh, and you were listening last week you might have heard me chatting with judy marsales the local real estate agent that everybody knows and we were talking about the real estate market in these times uh, are more houses buying or selling or fewer or are prices up or down? We went on and on. We talked about all kinds of stuff to do with the real estate market. You can catch that interview at 900chml.com if you want. One question that I sort of threw in there, hadn't really thought of it before we got chatting and threw it in there, and we didn't spend a lot of time on, was, well, what happens if you're in the midst of a transaction and something goes wrong? Because heaven knows the market right now, and I mean the broader market, is in a huge flux. Well, I went online today and I was reading some stuff this morning and realized others were wondering about the same thing because there's a piece in the National Post with the headline, if you bought a house before the coronavirus hit, don't expect force majeure to save you. We're going to get into what force majeure is. But the author of that piece is Mirza Haider, who is a professor of real estate management at Ryerson University. He's a columnist with the Financial Post. He's a director of research with 
Urban Analytics Institute, and he joins us now. Uh, Mercer, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate the time. My pleasure. Uh, in your piece today, you wrote there, were, there was a lot of stuff that I want to get to, uh, but one thing in particular blew me away. You cited data from the Canadian Real Estate Association showing 65,494 homes were sold in the first two months of 2020. But as everybody knows, um, buying or selling a house and closing that deal doesn't happen the same day. You could go weeks or months before that happens, which means there could be as many as 130,000 families in flux right now between moving into a house and having bought a house. That's a huge number. That is a very large number. And especially if you recognize that there were homes, additional homes that were sold in March in the first 30 days of March. So you're looking at about 100,000 families who have sold or bought or have accepted um, uh, or made a firm offer of purchase. And and um, their closing is in a few months or a few weeks down the road. And there's a whole host of unknowns um, that would uh, impact their ability to execute that offer, to complete that offer. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, this this thing, um, and, and we're talking about the coronavirus, but the underlying part, the economic part of this, I mean, this economic explosion felt like it happened basically overnight. And so, so there are a lot of people, I would assume, in those 130, 150, 160, whatever it is, thousand families that could be caught up in this, uh, who first of all bought their house at a possibly a far higher price than they might be able to get for it right now. Um, yes, well, there the are a couple of things. Um, um, the loss in valuation is no excuse uh, for getting out of a deal. Um, that's that's for sure. And the second thing to remember is that even though because of the physical distancing constraints. Um, we expect the sales to be declining at a much higher rate. Um, we do not expect the prices to um, to decline at the same rate at which the, the sales would decline because prices like wages are sticky. Even in hard times during recessions, we don't see wages or incomes falling, um, wages falling because they, they tend to stay and it takes much longer to get them down. So in our opinion, in our estimate, we do not expect a humongous decline in prices. However, um, you complement that with this tremendous loss in in jobs. You look at Indigo, um, and Indigo just fired 5,200 people. That's roughly 75% of their workforce. So if you see similar massive job losses across the board in urban and non-urban areas, mostly in urban because people go to work and work for others, rather than being um, uh, independent contractors or, 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 or uh, working in agriculture. You see that hum- humongous impact of large job losses, first on sales and then ultimately on prices. So let me jump in for but, one sec, because there's sure. two things you've hit on here, the job losses and the prices. First thing on the prices, if and you've said it hasn't happened yet, but if someone buys a house and suddenly, for whatever reason, the market drops considerably, and you are now about to take possession of a home that is not worth close to what you had paid for it, do lending agencies have an opportunity? Will they do anything to try to, to come at you to try and get you to do more or lock you in for more to make sure? Because now suddenly if you have to sell that house, you're, you're already way in the hole. 
So, so, so the lenders or mortgage servicers, um, they are looking at the loan and they're looking at the valuation. And they, what they look at is the loan-to-value ratio. What is the loan they are extending and how much is the value of the property? And if the value declines, then that loan-to-value ratio increases. And if it crosses certain thresholds, not necessarily thresholds set up by the lenders, but also thresholds set up by the regulators, uh, may that be the federal government or its institutions, when they have some cutoffs as to at what level the mortgages have to be insured and what level they have to be uninsured and whatnot. So given those those requirements, regulatory requirements, given those uh, liquidity constraints that the banks or the lenders may feel themselves, they may decide not to go with the with the lending and they may withdraw the, the financing uh, from you because the loan-to-value ratios could change uh, drastically. Can they do that? Circ- can they do that after you've made a deal with them? I think because, see, can they? of course they can do it. Uh, the question is, was it a solid, uh, what they agreed to is a loan-to-value ratio at the time you purchased. If fundamentals change by the time you're closing the deal, of course things have changed. Wow, okay. So, so then you could be expected to put more money to bring the loan-to-value ratio um, into uh, you have to put more for down payment so that the loan to value ratio are in, within those norms. So these things could happen. At the same time, uh, those who are buying right now, uh, they should be very careful because we mentioned a court case, um, a famous court case, where someone in the midst of a buying frenzy in 2017 um, decided to overpay for a house. And by closing time, they realized that the in, I think, April, May of 2017, when the Fair Housing Act was imposed in Ontario, imposing new regulations on foreign home buyers and some rental regulations and whatnot, property price values, residential property values plummeted in, 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 the, in the greater Toronto area, in particular, some particular neighborhoods more so than others. And this household realized, this family realized that they, they cannot go ahead with the, with the purchase, so they walked away from it. Then the seller uh, sold the house later, roughly $470,000 less than the first family's um, firm offer, and then sued them later in a court of law for the loss in revenue. And then the court recently decided, or maybe last year, they decided in favor of the seller, and the seller was awarded $470,000. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Mirza Haider, who is a professor of real estate uh, management at Ryerson, about homes and about this market. And uh, Mirza, you were saying about how the courts have not reacted favorably to those who have decided that because of an economic crash or a market change, you're going to pull out of a firm offer to buy a house. And people have had to pay large sums if they have decided they're going to get out. But what, on the other hand, because that's a person who has chosen to do that. What about the other hand where, and you mentioned it a moment ago, so many people are now out of work. So two weeks ago, I might've thought that my financial situation was just fine. And so I bought a house and I put down an offer and maybe a final offer. And now all of a sudden I have no income anymore. What do I do? So um, um, we consulted with three leading lawyers uh, who are referenced in our financial post, national post column. Um, and their unanimous uh, uh, opinion was that in such circumstances, you still have not much as a buyer uh, on, or as a seller if, if, uh, on, your, on your side. 
you cannot say that because of the job loss i can i can walk away from the deal um so it's not just about losing the deposit that you've made you have to put the deposit regardless and it doesn't matter because the way uh, especially in ontario the OREA form for this uh, for um, sale and, uh, and buying agreement uh, form has no mention of circumstances under which you can say that because of job loss I should be released of my uh, contractual obligations. So not even that, but also in case of uh, uh, force majeure, which are very unexpected outcomes, some loosely translates this into acts of God, um, which means like if there's a flood or if there is a a, um, a, 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 a pandemic in this case, those are not covered in the current form, which means the contract is binding both on buyer and seller. There is only one um, option left, which is called the frustration of contract, where uh, the parties have to uh, demonstrate that they have done everything possible in good faith to um, execute the contract, and they, because of measures and, and because of developments beyond their control, um, there's no way they can actually go ahead and in good faith execute the contract. They may have some recourse. They, my advice is not to listen to me, but to talk to hmm. a lawyer and get a professional advice on it. Well, I, I mean, I guess there is one other option. Uh, w- different people put different conditions of a sale in the offer, and I suppose if someone was clever enough to put a condition in saying as long as the economy straight, stays strong, I don't know that anyone's ever done that, and I don't know that the seller would ever accept yeah, so, that condition. So, so, absolutely. First of all, in these markets, people are not even able to say subject to financing. Uh, because buyers can get someone else to say, well, I, I waive that financing uh, uh, condition right now. So people, so in so different markets, different types of um, uh, negotiation uh, or leverage you may have as a buyer or as a seller. But you have this thing called Schedule A, at least in Ontario, that's part of the contract, in which you can specify other things like, oh, um, um, I will be able to, I, this offer is firm provided, at the close of the deal, my lender is willing to lend me the money. You can put that thing um, there, um, but or that subject to, you know, this offer is valid um, unless there is a pandemic or humongous job losses or I lose my job. I think you can specify those conditions, but the, you ask yourself, which kind of a seller, what kind of a seller would agree to something? Exactly. You know, exactly. You can try. doesn't mean they're going to take the offer. Yes. So, so I think they're, they're, I, one of the things that I heard from the lawyers that we consulted, um, they were very um, much pushing for um, be start negotiating in open uh, in an open way, be transparent, try to work out things uh, between the buyers and sellers rather than taking the legal route. Because um, I must also say that for sellers who think that they can actually take the buyer of a firm offer to court. Um, uh, you realize that these things cost money. They cost tens of thousands of dollars. And if your buyer is not financially stable or viable, if somebody could not execute the contract because they lost their job, they certainly have no money for you to take them to the court, win a verdict against them, and then collect. At the end of the day, you will pay legal fees to your lawyers. And if the buyer does not have the means to pay, and that was the primary reason they could not execute the contract to close the deal, then there's no money to collect there. So so the buyer has to, the person you're suing or the, or the buyer that you're suing or the seller you're suing has to be 
someone that you can collect from later. It's not that easy to just start a lawsuit and then collect. In the case where the verdict was awarded, I think the seller was quite confident that they could collect. It is a fascinating topic, uh, especially as as you have written with so many people who potentially could be caught up in this that we have no idea about, and with such a sudden change in the economy. Uh, I would encourage people to go read this piece. If you bought a house before the coronavirus crisis hit, don't expect force majeure to save you. It's in the Financial Post right now. Uh, Mirza Heider, I got to... Sorry, I got to run. Unfortunately, I really do. Uh, but listen, I sincerely appreciate you uh, coming on and taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, again, go take a read of it. It is well worth your time. It's a really interesting topic. Unless you're one of the people caught in it, then it's just really scary. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson, who joins us every Monday at this time, sir. How are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I am doing well. What are you doing these days? I'm doing what I do well, nothing. <laughs> I have it almost mastered. Almost so a mastered. Months, I'll be good. Yeah. Uh, I'm driving around looking at real estate, really. I get up, get up and head out and don't see anybody. But anyway, we're taking a look at some properties and some residential stuff, industrial stuff, and creating ideas and doing some stuff for some clients without talking face-to-face with them. What all you can do? It is, uh, we were saying earlier today that the um, the thing that is weird about this now is that it, it's impossible to know what day it is. I mean, I know it's Monday because I'm back at work yeah. today, but it, during the week, it's, it's impossible to know. Half the time, I don't know if it's the weekend anymore because we're all in a weekend all the time. It's all very yeah, strange. Every day, it's kind of like being a dog, right? It just it doesn't really matter and Dogs are all confused now. I know our dog is kind of looking around going, why doesn't somebody just leave? <laughs> At first they were all really happy we were home. And now they're like kids. Well, can you just go out for a night? I want some yeah, alone time. Nothing, nothing you can go and do. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, I know once we get back in full swing for real estate, there's going to be a bump up in some listings because there'll be a lot of marriage separation the way I see it <laughs> That's right, and a lot, of, and a lot of kids being told it's time to move out, get your own place. It's, yeah. it's time to go now. We, you, we're good. And a lot, a lot of, a lot of kids aren't happy with their new teachers when they're homeschooling. I'm guessing too. Uh yeah, no, I think that's probably true. And a lot of, a lot of teachers, a lot of new teachers are thinking right now that uh, that they're okay with kids going to school, not yeah, having to do right. this stuff. Is There's this how you pay attention under- in class? There's probably a lot of people understanding now why we have a two-month summer break from school. Uh, I will say this, though, Don. Yesterday, I had something happen that I thought was very, very cool, and this will be of probably no interest to anybody, so I'll keep it very brief. But we all have somebody who was our favorite athlete, favorite star or whatever when we were kids. Mine followed me on Twitter yesterday, which is not that big a deal, except it's, it was really cool. Bernie Perrant from the Philadelphia Flyers ended up following me on Twitter, and I went, you know, if I got to be stuck in my house, that's okay. That's that's a, that's a little up, a little upbeat kind of thing. We probably saw that real snazzy Bernie Perrant hand-drawn number one on the Flyers jersey you uh, rolled out. No, chair. it wasn't hand-drawn. That used to be a felt number that tore off, I guess, when it went through the wash, and now just the outline is there. But yeah, and the, and so I had a jersey in my basement where somebody else had talked about their favorite athlete, and 
I took out the picture and it's all wrinkled up and it's about the size. I don't think that a one-year-old could wear it now. These things shrink, just like O.J. Simpson's gloves. Uh, these things shrink over time. And uh, anyway, it's uh, still have it, though. Still have it. It was one of the best gifts ever, the uh, the Bernie Perrant sweater. That, Felt uh, number. You're showing your age. Uh, and it was when I was wearing horsehair goalie pads and uh, and a mask and a, a Bernie Perrant mask with the Philadelphia Flyers stickers on the temples, just like he had. Yes, I am showing my age. I am showing my age. Anyway, thanks for doing this. Um, we talked last week that we were going to pick up a few things this week and, and talk about a few things this week. And we ran out of time. And I want to go right to that to start today. Uh, anyone who doesn't know, by the way, Don Robertson is the owner and operator of the ComChoice Realty and the Dundas Real McCoys, and he's here every Monday, and we talk some sports for a bit coming out of the weekend. Less sports live to talk about these days, certainly. But one of the things you mentioned last week when you were here was how things are changing for minor hockey from previous years, including tryouts, which is bang on. Tryouts are all kaput now. Well, I, I it took me a while to sort it out just based on age and the fact that when I was a kid, they let the ice out of our arenas. But all uh, all rep teams, uh, pretty much throughout the entire country, have spring tryouts, which kind of makes some sense. You come off your full season, you know, you're probably in shape, your, your hockey uh, brain is working properly, so they have their tryouts. But, pardon me, they've all been canceled. And I checked today to see when they would be, and they've not been rescheduled because of the uncertainty. But the interesting thing that uh, I found, and, and I got talking to uh, our neighbors because Emerson, their, their son, was going to go out with uh, the Brantford 99ers and try out for the minor midget, which is a big year, right? I mean, the OHL Cup that it's uh, a draft year. Jason, Jason Williams, uh, one of our players, was going to coach Elgin in was canceled so that's a tournament that a lot of kids get a final look from their ohl scouts to see who's going to go where in the draft so that's canceled but then i got thinking about next year's process and that's all canceled as well and the interesting thing one of the things that i found interesting i'm sure i'm not alone is that you know if you go out and you're not going to make the team that you're invited to or the the team you're hoping to you can then opt to another center. Well, that's likely all going to evaporate. So not that I, I think stress is a bit of an overused word, but, you know, the concern as to where your kid may play, if it's not at this center, would it be 30 miles away because this group's chasing you to play? And, you know, your connection to friends and your social life, a lot of it is built around hockey. And, boy, it's going to just make a mess and those tryouts now are not going to be based on a kid just coming out of a hockey season and none of them can skate all summer so boom all of a sudden say august 25th here's your tryouts and nobody's been on the ice since february i mean it's going to be it's going to be interesting times and and and, uh significant changes to lifestyles for a lot of parents the uncertainty and where's my kid going to play and can he catch on somewhere else? I don't know. It's going to be something that minor hockey hasn't seen for a number of years. I got to tell you, I, I, I don't mind these changes and I'll tell you why. Like one of the points you make about the, the fact that you won't be able to go to another center, I'm fine with that. I, I think that is going to take 
a, a fair bit of the insanity out of the process that a kid who tries out for AAA in his center or her center and can't make it doesn't go chasing nine different places paying 150 bucks for a tryout each place because frankly in most cases dad wants them to have that extra A on their jacket and I think you know what you're going to have a bunch of players who are now not really superstar AAA players who go back and play AA in their center which is where they're supposed to be playing and the double-A players will go back and play single-A, which is probably what they're best cut out for. And a bunch of people will then go back and play house league, which is where they really should be. I, I can see some positive to this. Well, you can, but the problem is that the structure and the nature of it's been changed dramatically. And I, I agree with you. I mean, if you live in Ancaster, right, where, where you were involved with minor hockey, I mean, the day of just staying in Ancaster all the way up through has long been gone. I've never agreed with it. I, I, I concur with you. You know, if you're so if you're on a triple A uh, Bantam team last year, in days gone by, chances are that mostly that entire team moves up to the next level. But now with minor hockey being more like the OHL and the NHL where coaches want to win so they see it a kid in Burlington and they recruit him through a friend or give him an opportunity because he's a late bloomer, he'll come to Ancaster. You get a kid from Cambridge that comes to Ancaster for whatever the reason is because people are allowed to move their kids around. Now, they may have to get waived, but you're right. So the Ancaster AAA Bantam, major Bantam team doesn't necessarily automatically all become the AAA team. And sometimes not by a couple changes. You know, there are going to be people move away. There's going to be another kid in Ancaster that got better. He was a bit of a late bloomer, so he makes a team and somebody else doesn't. But it's just all the movement. And you're right. So if, you know, if somebody's not going to make it here, they want to scoot off to some other location, which is going to probably bump another local kid out. I I don't concur with it, but that's the way it is. I, we, minor hockey has been buggered up for years. Don, we knew someone, I've known someone, and I'm not going to say the centers because uh, for obvious reasons, but I knew someone that was from the area near where we were, and they tried out for a bunch. Uh, they tried out for the local AAA team, then the not-quite-local AAA team, then the further-away AAA team, and they finally latched on with a AAA team that was probably an hour's drive for every practice each way, and they had practices in the morning before school. So this kid, first of all, four, let's say, days a week is going at some ridiculous hour of the day, and dad or mom has to drive there, and then they're missing the first class of school, and they, they're they not a AAA level player. This is the problem. They found a team that they can make. But to me, the idea of a AAA player is someone who is the, the best of the best that you're going to scout that maybe somewhere along the way there's a chance for them to move up. This person had no chance of making the OHL. And this was entirely, it seemed to me anyway, a search, as I said a moment ago, to get that extra letter on the jacket. And it, 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 it was not worth it. But nobody could convince this father or kid that it was. And to somehow take that decision-making out of some of the parents' hands this year, if that's what happens, and says, look, you try out for one team. That's all we got time for. And if you don't make it, 
you go down to the next level and the tryouts are a week later and you play there. I, I, I would go with this every single year. For one other reason too, besides getting it out of the hands of some of the parents, don't we want, this is where, where rep hockey started, don't we ideally want kids to be playing in their neighborhood or in their catchment area so that that's what minor hockey was once upon a time supposed to be, not something where you played everywhere just to chase this thing. I, I, I would be, I'm all for this idea. I'm, I'm fine with the fall tryouts, 100%. Well, you know when it started? When Wayne Gretzky got... Uh, went to the Young Nats? When he went to the Young Nats in, in Toronto and Colin, um, oh, his last name escapes me now, he was former president of the OHA, you, you had to take over a guardianship for a kid to actually be moved there. And that was the thin edge of the wedge. Young Jim Burton from Brantford went there. I think Greg Steffen, it started. So, I mean, it, this process started years and years ago. Now, that was junior hockey, but that's where it started. And you're right. I, I don't quite comprehend it. And for the life of me, what I don't understand are people that, that you alluded to that say, okay, finally, our son can play AAA hockey and Kappa's casing. Yeah, it's a long way. And, take an, and if you are Wayne Gretzky... take an apartment there, mom can live there with him over the winter. If that's the best your kid can do, you better come home. I will be okay with making an exception to what I just said if you are Wayne Gretzky. All right, if you're Wayne Gretzky, you go wherever you want and you can play, and I'll say that's fine, you can go play they don't come along very often, as in never. Him or Bobby Orr, maybe. I mean, Mario Lemieux. If you're going to be one of the all-time top 50 NHL players, fine, <laughs> go play where you want. But uh, I suppose the problem here is, Don, there's a lot of parents who believe their kids are going to be that. So how do you how do you oh, convince yeah. them otherwise? But, yeah, it wasn't, what, and, and, and I, I didn't make my point that can happen quite often with me, but my point was, that's when the moving started. It wasn't the fact it was Gretzky. Sure, it was Gretzky. He was a phenom, right? And he was exceptional. So they tried to figure out how to bend the rules so that he could actually play there. Yep. But my, my point was, that's how long ago it started, moving kids out of their own jurisdiction. Yeah, early my 70s. Guess is, my guess, I'm no expert, but I will guarantee you Wayne Gretzky would have got to the National Hockey League if he had played AAA in Brantford, and if he had had to play a year of Junior D or Junior B locally, he still would have led the NHL in scoring for 75 straight years like he did. Like, I don't think the move had anything to do with it. My point was, that's how long people have been doing this. Now they seem to have opened Pandora's box, and you go wherever you can, and you're right, it's a little crazy. It'd be nice to see it. If nothing else, this if, if something good comes of the pandemic, it's maybe more kids playing minor hockey in their hometowns where they should play it. Yeah, and uh, you know the only trouble, and I'll give you this one uh, that you mentioned, and I think it's a fair comment about the the tryouts in the fall being a problem, is that perhaps what you end up doing is giving an advantage to the kids who have played summer hockey, and so you're forcing kids now if the tryout's going to be in September we better be skating all summer if we want to make the team. And I, and I think that's a fair, um, I think that's a fair concern. By the same token, though, I think a lot of coaches would also 
look at the flip side and go, okay, that advantage is offset by the fact that you may choose your team in April and a kid may be way better by the fall. He may go to skating classes or he may grow six inches. So, you know what? It's six dozen, half dozen, six and one half dozen together. You can, you can have advantages or disadvantages to both. I just, I, I would just love to keep kids closer to home always. Anyway. They're, they're all going to be on the same playing field because nobody's got ice. But I, that this year, this year, but I'm saying just this in year. general, in general, you may oh, have some kid that saying. goes out and skates all summer because mom or dad puts them in 15 different camps. And, but I think most coaches have already watched the kids that are playing somewhere the year before. Hockey has become a ser- minor hockey has become a serious business, and most of the coaches who are coaching AAA now have looked at the AA players and the AAA players that are on the team the year before. They have a pretty good idea who can play, and if you come out and you've been a great player that they've seen, and you're not quite at that level yet, you will be in two weeks. You'll you'll be fine. Anyway. I don't know. That's right. You'll catch up. The coach will figure it out. And you're right. The coach has already been out and seen all the kids he's thinking about signing anyway. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson still with us here on 900 CHML as he does every Monday. Don, tomorrow evening, just as a reminder, and it's after we're done here, 8 o'clock tomorrow evening, if you turn on your television set, you can watch the replay because they're playing the whole Raptors playoff run last year. Tomorrow night is the replay of the Kawhi Leonard last second game seven shot against Philadelphia that bounces off the rims and goes in. Don Robertson gets to be at any game in Toronto sports history. You get to go back in time, get into the time machine and choose a game from Toronto sports history. What game would it be? That one? The the Carter home run game? The George Armstrong empty net goal for the Stanley Cup game? What would be the game you would go to? I think the, uh, and I was alive for all of them, the uh, touch them all Joe game would be probably the one. It's uh, it's hard to argue. Carter pounds it out. Yeah, the quite. I don't think I'm ingrained enough. Although I did catch Raptor Mania or such a thing, I don't think I'm quite as big a Raptor fan as I should be. And I'm embarrassed to tell you I saw George Armstrong shoot it in the empty net. So I would say uh, Touch 'Em All Joe was a great call by. A great broadcaster and a lot of fun to watch. You, now you could pick another game if there's another game that pops to mind in Toronto. Uh, nope. w- one other one that I thought of, and, and probably I would go with Touch 'Em All Joe would still be the one because I mean it was a championship winning moment. You, you just can't, yeah. you, you you can't do better than that. I I would have loved to have been at the game in Toronto, the second game of the Canada Russia series in '72 that was played at Maple Leaf Gardens. That would be one that would be on my list. Um, for sure that I that I would have wanted to be at. Uh, sadly, I was. It was my birthday, but I was a little too young at that point. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, you know what? It's it's the, the the Kawhi Leonard one. For people younger than you and I, if you're in your twenties or teens, I I would almost guarantee you the Kawhi Leonard one would be an almost universal choice. Well, let me let, let me try and put it in a different perspective. If the Kawhi Leonard shot that bounced off the rim 73 times was the shot to win the championship, it might be different. I would agree with that for sure. If that was, if that was the shot that had won the championship, that would be, would that pass Sidney Crosby's goal as 
the modern iconic sports moment? Maybe it might. It it'll be up there. It that that might be yeah. That might be an age test. Um, but yeah, that would be. That, see, the difference, I think, is when you look at the history of it, and you can look at the magnitude of, of it, talking in reference that it, that, that would have won the NBA championship, Canada's first. It was a huge deal. Kawhi Leonard left after the season. Sidney Crosby still playing our game, still plays for the Canadian team. You know what I mean? So that might win it out for him just because he's still around and he's a good Canadian boy. Yeah, that would play in some people's minds, including mine. But if I'm telling you, if that if if Kawhi shot had a won the NBA championship on a buzzer beater, boy, there are four that'd be hard to top that excitement. There are four that come to my mind as the modern because again, let's not talk about Paul Henderson for a moment or even Gretzky to Lemieux. I mean, there's in in the modern era, there are four that seem to come to mind for me that you would have the discussion about. It would be the Carter home. Well, no, sorry. That would be back for too far too. It would be the, the Kawhi Leonard shot. It would be the Sidney Crosby goal. Uh, it would be the Batista home run in game five, the bat flip, or it might be the Marie Philippe Poulain overtime golden goal for the women in the Olympics from Laura Fortino. Uh, I don't know if there's any other one that would rise to that level. There's nothing else that immediately comes to mind as being at that level in the, in the, among, again, among people who are 25 or 30 years old. Cause I, I don't, I, I don't know how many of them would put Carter. I mean, they've all seen it, but I don't know how many would put it right at the top because they weren't alive for it. They don't, unless you're, uh, and I say this even for stuff that happened before me and I don't get it. Unless you've lived through these things, I don't think that yeah. a sports moment can translate all that well. Well, and that's why it's an interesting conversation because because you ask me, right? So I can relate to the Carter one. If you ask your son, it might be, it might be a, an entirely different list. If you ask somebody sure. that's 35, it might be, you know, it may well be Kawhi and it might be Sid's goal. And if you ask you someone who's know, 80, when, they might say the Richard riots were the most unbelievably yeah, momentous thing in their life. Who knows? It's uh, So I can only comment on the question that's posed to me. You're right about changing that around. And if you ask a bunch of uh, girl hockey players, Sid's goal likely isn't in there. It's uh, Laura Fortino setting up the game winner. Here's the question that follows it up then. In 20 years, because all the guys who played in the 72 series are now in their 70s, at least, if not 80s, and most of the people who were alive, I mean, we're talking now, uh, we're talking 50 years since that goal coming up. And so if you were in your teens or 20s, you are approach. you're in retirement age or beyond if you remember that live. So 20 years from now, 20 years now, are we, are, is, are Canadians still going to be talking about Paul Henderson's goal as the seminal sports moment of all time, or is it going to be Carter's home run, or is it going to be Kawhi's shot, or is it going to be one of these other things? Are we going to even remember Paul Henderson's goal in the same way? Well, I, I, I think then again, too, you have, to, um, you have to look at the age of which you're asking the questions, right? Like if it's, if it's top of mind... To some of them that can easily remember um, uh, Kawhi's, Kawhi's shot, 
as well as you and I can remember Carter's shot, right? So it'll just depend on the memory bank. Again, it'll be an age thing. You say 20 years from now. Uh, I say 40 years from now, we'll see which ones pass the test of time. See, I, I, I really, I start to think that 40 years from now, Paul Henderson's goal, rightly or wrongly, and I think wrongly, but 40 years from now, Paul Henderson's goal is going to be discussed in the same way the Great Depression is discussed for people of our generation because we didn't live through it, and so it's just a notch in the history books as opposed to something you lived. Well, I I agree, and it may, and it may come down to being very similar to uh, Babe Ruth calling his shot. Yeah, yeah. Right? That is, it, it is truly a magical historical moment, but it doesn't take up much of the gray matter in anybody's head. It'll be recognized forever, but a long way from the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I think it's fascinating that 50 years later, people will still talk about it. Now, teenagers aren't talking about it, and young kids aren't talking about it, but they hear you and I talking about it. And they've all seen it. Right. But, but so it's all, it's all a little bit relevant, but you're right. I, I think it will be like Babe Ruth calling a shot and you remember that historic goal and boom, it'll be a two second flash on TV, if at all. And I'll tell you one other one that falls into that category, because unless you lived through that, you didn't get how hated the Soviets were and how much it mattered yeah. that you won. And it's similar. It's not the same because that's in a category all its own. If you were not alive or old enough to have followed the lead-up to the Ben Johnson-Carl Lewis race, it was just two guys who were running. You had no idea how much Canadians hated Carl Lewis and how much Ben Johnson had to win that for our psyche. And so uh, now you just watch, oh, he's a steroid cheat who got caught and big deal. No, no, it was, it mattered. It really, really mattered back then. Yeah, he had to win. That's that's why his taking nothing away from Donovan Bailey, his win against Carl Lewis was was as a nation far more important. Sure seemed to be. All right, let me take a the break. Thing that gonna... was important with Donovan Bailey was he didn't get nailed for steroids. Well, he never had a whiff of it, and there's never been a suggestion he did, and yet always. No, I know that's what I'm saying. No, no, and always yes, it seemed like we waited God. for the shoe to drop because we got so used to it with Ben Johnson, and I think Donovan Bailey paid for that. I think he paid for Ben Johnson because I think he never became, he was a huge star, but I think he was never what he would have been had Ben Johnson not been before him. Yeah, anyway. I think he got his due. He was great. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson Still with us, although not really with us, from a distance with us. I mean, it is coronavirus time. Don is safely in the Robertson bunker in the outskirts of the greater Hamilton region. Something like that, I think. Yeah, waiting for it to start cutting six or six acres of grass soon if it warms up. You know, does it not seem like those preppers that we all made fun of in the past are now the ones laughing at us? We told you, we told you, we should have put a bunker in your basement and a fallout shelter in your backyard and 17 years worth of flour and dried rice and we're good to go. It's, they're, they're the ones having the last laugh. Don we last... yesterday, Scott. Oh, yes, and how'd we that shopped. go? Well, uh, Suze is very uh, concerned. She's working from home, so I'm the guy that used to stop at the market three or four times a week and now we go once a week and had the cart overflowing, but I've now figured out why we run out of food so soon. I got I got so much time, all I do is eat. 
What they, I'm going to have to do is have the doors to the house expanded. They were saying, I was reading somewhere, that, that they think that of all the businesses that, you know, they may be suffering right now, but that'll do well at the end of this is gyms is one of them. Because everybody, I'm just, I feel like I'm just fattening up. Because you're right, you're in the house and the food is there and just, okay, let's chow down. I've, I've consumed more coffee in the past two weeks. I swear, I come in here most nights and I'm ready to r- sprint laps around the building for half an hour before I come on the air. Anyway. I was going to ask you, you're still in the studio, eh? I guess because there's nobody else there. I am still you in the studio, that? and they just ran out of Lysol wipes and hand stuff, so I'm, 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 uh, we'll see. I, I may be gone within two weeks. We'll see. Hope not. <laughs> uh, Me too. So last week, we also said we wanted to get to this, uh, and I don't even remember what spurred the conversation, but something came up about the world's ugliest uniforms for sports. And uh, I said I would bring it up and ask you now. I, I'm going to eliminate one from contention because it's so obviously the worst one that I don't even know if it's worthy of discussion, and that's the Vancouver Canucks flying V because that, that thing was so horrible that I don't even know. that is there a competition at all? Because I think that one runs away with it by a million miles. Yeah, no, there's... Uh, I, 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 unfortunately, I looked at a list, which I never get a chance to because you never tell me what we're going to talk about. But I, <laughs> you, you, the, the number one uh, uniform on the list that I looked at was the Chicago White Sox when they wore shorts. And, and collars. I, shorts and collars. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't think that looked nearly as bad as the Vancouver Canucks. So I'm going to forget about what I saw on that list. And you, you can get rid of Vancouver if you want to. But there's still two or three that I remember from memory and that don't like the Houston Astros, not that they need any press right now, but remember those rainbow uniforms they used to wear? They were putrid. They were putrid. And the Captain Highliner for <laughs> the um, for New York Islanders. Those are the ones I thought of last week. So I'm not going to use the cheat sheet to bring anything else up. They were god awful. And if people don't yeah. know what they were. This was in the early 90s, probably, and a lot of teams had yeah, decided probably. to go with a third or fourth or fifth uniform, and the Islanders came out with one. And yeah, the, the Islander, the guy who was representing that, looked like Captain Highliner. And, and the worst part about these, Don, and it was the same time the LA Kings had the Burger King guy, uh, these were yeah. not... These were not oh. hockey sweaters like we know with sewn-on stuff. They were the roller hockey... Um, what do you even call it? like embossed sweaters that, that like oh, the super sublimated. cheap ones. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They didn't have sewn on crests or numbers or anything. They were printed like that and they were just horrendous. They were just horrendous. They, uh, they, there was a, an awful lot of creativity that was, uh, I think a lot of people must've been into the wacky tobacco or something <laughs> when they were coming up with some of these things. Well, they were right off the charts. Uh, here's another one that truly, I, I, I don't know anybody truly that looks good in brown. Brown is just not a color. I don't think that suits too many people. But remember the San Diego Padres of the 80s had the brown and yellow yeah. uniforms that when they wore them, it looked like you were staring into a toilet bowl after a bad day. I mean, it was, they were like yeah. a horrible combination. <laughs> Steve Garvey in those San Diego, and I guess they were supposed to look like a Padres, like a monk's outfit, but man, those things were ugly. And there have well, been others. And remember, 
the Pittsburgh Penguin or the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Pittsburgh Pirates and their mellow, uh, was it, what are they called? Pillow box caps. Pillow box caps. Yeah, the pillow box caps. And and they were good back then. Willie I mean, Stargell and Kent Tacolvi and a, yeah, yeah, they had teams. a great baseball team. But they had there's a lot of people that got way too creative. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Chicago Blackhawks, which is. One of the reasons the real McCoys, along with that being McCoy Foundry colors when we first started, but I like the simple uniform. I think it's classy, and leave it alone. Detroit Red Wings are pretty good. Boston are pretty good. I like the original six stuff, and they they've got a little bit creative with it. And you know the Islanders stuff, even to start with, which they're back to now, wasn't too bad. But you know another one that wasn't all that cute to start with either was the Buffalo Sabers. The original, yeah. When they had the French Connection line, and that that was which was modeled mod after the Leafs. Or... It was modeled because Punch Imlac went there and took the Leafs and just made the Sabers outfit out of it. But do you remember the Sabers sweater from about maybe twelve or fifteen years ago? The Lanny McDonald half mustache one, or some people yeah. called it the banana slug. Um, yeah. Where it looked like that, like the logo looked like half of Lanny McDonald's mustache, and no one could quite figure out why or what the connection was. But no, there are some very, very bad uniforms that. Uh, this won't play well locally, but the uh, I don't know if it's the Hamilton Tigers uh, when they were wearing the leather helmets and they were all the just yellow and brown or black stripes up and down. They were, uh, there wasn't a lot of originality going to those things. Uh, yeah, somebody just called in and said the North Bay Battalion's green jersey. It looks like Army men. Uh, yeah, those are not, the Ottawa 67s, the ones with the stripes, I'm not a big fan of those. Like, it's even some, and when and you mentioned the Boston Bruins, when they went to that, uh, the, the bear head as the logo, not the, yeah. the, the it was like, come on, you, you've got a great uniform. I, I, it would be like seeing the Montreal Canadiens suddenly go to a flying hockey stick or something. Like, just no, no, stick with, stick with what works. You're good. The original six, you're okay. good. So I want to bring one up though. You don't want if if you're cutting out those beautiful Tiger Williams, Vancouver Canucks, flying V. Yes. Uh, when I think of the flying V, I think of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, who had a bit of a <laughs> god awful one. Yes. They but did. the original Vancouver Canucks hockey stick in a square uh and just in a triangle with a hockey stick that was close to the hockey night in canada logo those powder blue yep. uniforms that uh that dave hodge used to wear and their logo was like that i mean my goodness come up with something a little bit better let me know what your choice for the best or the worst is Radley at 900CHML.com. Send me a quick note. What's the best sports uniform and what's the ugliest one? Love to hear from you. Radley at 900CHML.com. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.